Uh, thank you. Awesome. We are really grateful for Redemption City Church. You may not know this, but we remember you almost every week because we uh, set up and tear down our church, and we do that. Um, we transport all of our stuff in the trailer that your church gave us. So thank you so much for that. We've also been blessed to have Sebastian and Meredith come and lead worship for us um, on a few different Sundays. And that's a, a particular blessing for me because most Sundays I'm, I'm uh, preaching, uh, well, I preach every other week with our other pastor, but I'm, I'm leading worship almost every Sunday. And so to have Sebastian come and lead us has been a blessing. It's been such a blessing to, to be here and to sit under his leadership here. You guys have a real gift. I was making eyes at him when Pastor Mike mentioned the next church planter to come from Redemption City. So y'all watch, watch out for him. Uh, my wife and I, Dana, my wife's name is Dana. We have three kiddos. Ellis is here with me today. She's uh, excited to be in kids ministry because she, she said, Dad, I haven't been a part of kids ministry since the church plant started. I need to go. Um, and then we have three other kids, or I'm sorry, two other kids, Abel, who's six, and Ezri, who's four, and they're with their mom at Union Church this morning. Um, we spent about 10 years here in the Grand Rapids area. My wife and I both went to school out here. Um, and then did ministry afterwards. Um, we love this area. We have a heart for this area. We miss the restaurants here. You guys need to be grateful for what you have because you know how they used to tell people, you know, when you were a kid and you wouldn't eat your peas, like there are starving children on the other side of the world. You know, when you're not grateful for your restaurants, there are deprived church planters on the other side of Michigan <laughs> who just have to eat chain restaurant food, and it's so hard. So, um, we, we love this area. We love you. We're so grateful that you're making disciples here in Grand Rapids. Um, I'm honored to be with you opening up the word today. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be in verses 35 through 38 this morning. And in just a minute, I'm going to read the passage at Union Church, I don't know if y'all do this, but at Union Church, when we read our passage for the sermon, the reader typically ends by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and the congregation will respond, thanks be to God. So if you could help me feel a little bit at home this morning, that's what I'm going to do when I read the text. Um, but before we even read the text, um, I'd love to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I always feel weak and know my own weakness when I come to preach your word. So I thank you that even though I am weak, you are strong. You are the mighty God. And so, mighty God, we depend on you. We are at your mercy this morning. Only you can cause the seeds of your word to take root and to bear fruit in us. So we ask that you would please speak loudly to your people through this message, that you might be glorified and that our joy might increase. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, 
Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and keep your Bible open to Matthew 9 so you can have your eyes on the text as I, as I preach. And before we dive into the book of Matthew today, let me just take a second to recommend another book to you. I'm kicking myself because I was going to bring some free copies of it for you this morning. I forgot them at home. But one of the books that's been really resonant in our church, and particularly with Kyle, the other pastor, and myself, is a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and, and I take some time to recommend that. Number one, because I need to cite my sources. Uh, this sermon is going to heavily lean on some of the things that I have been challenged and comforted by in that book. And, and number two, I just want to commend it to you to let you know that if, if what we sit in in the book of Matthew today kind of resonates with your spirit, uh, I was going to say I'd love to give you a free copy. <laughs> um, go buy it because you need it. Um, it's, it's a really, really good. Um, I'd love for you to, to be reading it. A theologian named A.W. Tozer once said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Which, if you think about that, that's a pretty striking statement. It, it might even be offensive to you because we look to so many other things to define who we are and and how we're valued. And and Tozer is asserting that the most important thing about you isn't your accomplishments, or your level of knowledge, or your performance, or your behavior, or who you love, or how you're remembered when you're gone. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. And I agree with him. And for the purposes of digging into the text here in Matthew 9 this morning, I want to narrow Tozer's statement ever so slightly, and I want to say what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you because Jesus Christ is the reason you exist. Scripture says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And it is by him that all things hold together. And he's holding together the fibers of your existence right now. The Bible also says he's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. And he came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And he is the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. So your days continue at his command. Because you were made through him, you were made for him, and he holds you together. And on Jesus rests your eternal destiny. That means there are eternal consequences to what you think about Jesus. And so what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And, and let's nuance this a little bit, because there are, there's more than one dimension to knowing somebody, right? So, so if, we, if you and I were to talk after the service and you got to know me a little bit better, you would begin to build kind of a file of facts about Ethan Ezekiel in your head. You know, he's a, a man, he's... Um, ethnically ambiguous, he's uh, 
from Brighton, Michigan. He's a father, he's a husband, he's a pastor. All of these facts would begin to fill up your folder. All this information, a part of the Ethan Ezekiel file in the brain. And so this first category of knowing somebody has to do with the facts you know about me. But there's also not just what you know about me, but what you think about me. Like, what's your opinion of me? What does your gut tell you about me after our conversation? Do I seem trustworthy or a little shady? Do I seem hardworking or lazy? Um, do, I, do I seem uh, responsible or foolish? And, and these things will begin to shape your opinion about me. And no matter what's in my tax file, no matter what sort of pedigree I bring or positions I have or performance I give, all this stuff on the information side doesn't really matter unless you have a good opinion of me, right? What you think about me kind of trumps no matter what kind of facts are in my file. And so let me connect this to what I said earlier. What comes to mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And so the doctrine we believe about Jesus, incredibly important. What we believe about Jesus Christ is, is, has eternal consequences. And what you think about the character of Jesus, what kind of person he is, is incredibly important. Because if you check all the right doctrinal boxes about the Lord, but you see him as angry or, or distant or grumpy or detached, then the quality of your relationship with Jesus will suffer. You might even believe all the right doctrines about Jesus, but you'll never have a true relationship with him because your opinion of him keeps him at a distance. Friends, God doesn't simply want you to believe the right things, the right facts about him. He wants to come close to you. He wants you to come toward him in love. He wants you to know his heart. He wants you to trust his disposition. And all of that brings us to the text today because here in Matthew 9, Jesus gives us a lens by which to see the world and he gives us a mission as his people, but all of that is birthed out of the character of Jesus. And I want you to see the kind of God that Jesus is. And this passage shows us that the God of the Bible isn't distant. He isn't disdainful. He is compassionate. And it's only in knowing the compassion of God that we can step with the right foot forward into the task that he's given us as his disciples. So the compassionate heart of Jesus for the fallen world has been handed down to us as his representatives. And you can see that's the main point that's on the screen. I'll say it one more time if you're a type A note taker. The compassionate heart of Jesus for the fallen world has been handed down to us. So look at your Bibles with me at at Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at verse 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every 
affliction. This right here, verse 35, this is Matthew's way of summarizing the ministry of Jesus. So the gospel of Matthew is a project put together by a man carried along by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The disciple Matthew is the one who penned this, and his goal is to show us the kingship of Jesus. So he gives us this curated history, a curated biography of the life of Jesus. So Matthew's relating the history of Jesus' ministry in a purposeful way to make a point. So before the statement here in, in chapter, chapter 9, verse 35, um, Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has been revealing the kingdom of heaven through healing many, many people, casting out demons. And this statement in verse 35 is the gospel writer's way of marking a new leg of the journey. He uses almost the exact same wording earlier in the book of Matthew at the end of chapter 4. You've got Matthew chapters 1 through 4, which are kind of this introduction. We don't even hear Jesus speak yet. It's just Matthew's commentary relating the history of his birth and, and setting up who is this king that we've been waiting for. And then he uses words almost exactly like 935 to mark a new chapter in the history that he's telling. And he does it again here in verse 35. And that's going to be important because there's something significant happening when, when the page turns in this new section of Jesus' ministry. More on that later, but let's keep moving in the text. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So friends, this this doesn't just give us a historical fact about Jesus. This shows us the heart of Jesus, that he's compassionate to those who are harassed and helpless. Another way to say this might be that that our Savior is compassionate to those who are sinners and sufferers. And we don't have to rest that assertion on just this one verse. This is the consistent witness of the New Testament. Jesus is continually revealing his compassionate character. So the author of that book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, said it so simply. Jesus' life proves Jesus' heart. And this is what I mean. Just a chapter earlier in Matthew 8, Jesus heals a leper. And the leper says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus immediately stretches out his hand and says, I will be clean. And the Greek word for I will, it has to do with the seat of desire in a person. It's not just, yeah, I can, so I'll do it. It's I really want to. The leper was asking about Jesus' deepest desire, and Jesus showed the leper his deepest desire by healing him. Then, even earlier in in Matthew chapter 9, in the first part of the chapter, uh, people bring a paralytic man to Jesus, and he doesn't even wait for them to ask for healing. The text says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. It's as if Jesus couldn't hold himself back. He just had to heal him. And we see in two places in the New Testament where Jesus weeps. He weeps over the death of his friend. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And in both cases, we're seeing deep sorrow in the heart of our Savior over the plight of his friends, over the plight of his kinsmen. 
when the Lord is healing the sick in Matthew 14, when he's feeding the hungry in Matthew 15, when he's teaching the crowds in Mark chapter 6, when he's wiping away the tears of the bereaved in Luke 7. In every case, the scripture says he was moved with compassion for them. He was moved in his guts for them. Again and again, Jesus is going to upset the social norms and the social expectations of his day because he's not repelled by the morally disgusting or the ceremonially unclean or the social outcast or the people with a reputation for, for uh, nefarious things or, or the guilty or the failing. And it's not just that Jesus tolerates them and gives them healing. It's he, he goes toward them. It's, it's as if he's, he's drawn to them, almost primarily drawn to them, over and above those who have it all together. This is why the opponents of Jesus gave him a name that they tried to make an insult. But Jesus took it on as, as a badge of honor. Jesus, the friend of sinners. The cumulative testimony of all four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all around him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward sin and suffering, not away from it. And friends, just in case you're tempted to believe that the Jesus we see here in the Gospels is somehow different than the God of Judges or Lamentations or Leviticus, remember this. When Jesus shows us his heart, he's revealing the heart of the God of all of Scripture. There is no separation, there's no distinction between God the Father and God the Son. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Colossians 1 tells us Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Whatever Jesus reveals about himself is true about God, and God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So the compassionate heart of Christ that we see here in the Gospels is part of the character of God since before Genesis 1 and will be part of the character of God into eternity future. This is the God we worship, a God who is compassionate, drawn toward sinners and sufferers. And look at me, this means, this has teeth for your life today. It can dig into the fabric of your existence now. This means that God has compassion toward you. Some of you are burdened by a performance complex. The thing that comes to mind when you think about Jesus is a shame or is a desire to prove yourself. Maybe you've put on so many band-aids over your shame that you yourself, you can't see it anymore. But you're driven by an urge to stay active, to prove yourself. Listen, this, this is the heart of Jesus. It's drawn toward you in your weakness. It's drawn towards you in your failing, in your falling short, in your falling apart. In your unimpressiveness. He's not looking at you and weighing out the good against the bad on a set of scales. He is not asking you to make 
restitution for your wickedness. He's already paid for your wickedness. He doesn't even love you because he can see some sort of future, better version of yourself. He doesn't look down through the, through the eternity, history of, of human existence and pick out the people who say, if I save them, they're really going to be a feather in my cap. No. He comes to you in your unimpressiveness and in your failure, and he sets his love on you. That is it. He already loves you. So to you who have a performance complex when it comes to God, I'm calling you, stop belittling the love of God by trying to earn his love. Imagine if if you have a spouse or if you have a significant other, if you go to them and you say, I love you so much. In fact, here's a gift for you because I love you. Here's a list of the things that I've done for you because I love you. And then that person comes to you and says, thank you, thank you. I'm not worthy and I'm not worthy. And, and so let me do all the things for you that you've just done for me. And they try to repay everything that you've done. And you just wanted to give a gift to the person you love out of the goodness of your own heart that belittles the love that you've shown toward them. Don't do that to the father. Number one, you can never repay him. Number two, you can never impress him. He loves you and that is all. So some of you need to rest in that truth. Some of you are are just enduring suffering. My family and I, we went through a period of time not too long ago when it just felt like wave after wave. Like you get up out of the wave that just hit you and you gasp for breath and then you're knocked down again. And there's a soul level weariness no matter what you look like on the outside. You don't have the same range of emotion that you wish you had or that you used to have. You're just tired because it's hard. And I know that there are those of you who are just weary here this morning who have very little strength to offer. And even if you don't identify with that feeling, I know that you can look outside the windows and doors of this building and see a city that's suffering right now. See a people who are weary, who feel like wave after wave has come upon them, who, who are traumatized by the suffering that the world throws at us again and again. And so suffering friend, rest in this truth that the heart of Jesus is not only drawn toward the sinner, he is drawn toward the sufferer, the harassed and the helpless. The same Jesus who wept at the tomb of Lazarus, weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers and put his arm around them, puts his arms around us today when we feel misunderstood or sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners, reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted pleas for mercy with the mighty invincible cleansing of the one who cannot bear to do otherwise. So all of you helpless, all of you harassed, every sinner and sufferer, the scriptures are reminding us that the compassionate heart of Jesus is reaching toward you. 
and the scriptures are laying before you an invitation. Would you rest in the loving arms of your Savior? At Union Church, we, we every Sunday, have a, a similar call to worship that the one Pastor Mike gave this morning. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who are mourning and longing for comfort. To all who fail and desire strength. And to all of us who sin and need a Savior. To all of you, we open wide our arms Not with a welcome from us, but with a welcome from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he's the ally of the guilty and the failing. And he's the comfort for those who are mourning. He's the joy of our hearts. And he's the friend of sinners. So come and worship him with us. Because he's calling you into his rest. And he's calling you into his kingdom and into his family. And if you belong to Jesus, if you follow him as your Savior and as your King... Not only has the compassion of Christ been given to you like a salve for your wounds, it has, praise God. But the compassion of Christ has also been handed down to you like an appointment given to an ambassador. Christian, you have been transformed by the compassion of Jesus so that you might exercise the compassion of Jesus to a fallen world. So let me read the passage again. I'm going to start from the beginning, beginning of 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, I'm going to keep reading a little bit into chapter 10. Verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And then if you would skip down to chapter 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me just summarize what we've been shown. Jesus is going around teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. That's Jesus' ministry. And up until this point in the book of Matthew, He alone has been executing that ministry. The crowds gather around Jesus. He looks over the crowd and he is moved with compassion deep down in his guts because these people are harassed and helpless and he sees them as if they are sheep without a shepherd. And what are sheep without a shepherd? They are lost sheep. And then he brings his disciples and he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And at this point, the laborers are few because who's been the one doing the ministry of teaching and healing and preaching? Just one, Jesus. The laborers are few at this point. So then Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And then he immediately gives his disciples authority to do the same kind of ministry that he had been doing. Healing the sick, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The Lord of the harvest, Jesus, is sending out laborers into the harvest. And who does Jesus send them to? He sends them to the lost sheep 
of Israel, the ones who he saw were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So remember a little bit ago, I said that Matthew 9.35 is almost exactly like Matthew 4.23, where Matthew's marking a, a new leg in the journey of Jesus' ministry. Well, this is the new leg in the journey. This is the page turning. Jesus is handing down his ministry to his disciples. And friends, what I want you to see today is just like Jesus' compassion for the harassed and helpless then is the same compassion for you today, so also Jesus handing down his compassion-driven ministry to his disciples then That same ministry has been given to us now, today. And as Jesus called his disciples as harvesters into the harvest field, we have also been called by the Lord as harvesters into his harvest field. And here in Matthew 9 and 10, we we are pre-cross, we are pre-resurrection. This is before the saving work of Jesus became fully clear. And so we see Jesus sending his disciples to a limited amount of people, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then later on, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, this is post-cross, post-resurrection, the Gospel is clear. We see Jesus sending his disciples again, but this time he sends, says, I'm sending you with all authority to all the nations to make disciples of me of every tribe and language and nation and tongue. And it's because of the compassion of God toward the sinful and suffering world that he came and then commissioned his disciples with this ministry. And though the compassion, and through, rather, the compassion-driven ministry of Jesus, proclaiming to the harassed and the helpless that there's a good shepherd, the gospel began to spread. So think about this. It's because Jesus looked with compassion toward the crowds and handed that ministry down to his disciples that the gospel spread. And it spread from a tiny nation in the Middle East, east across Asia, down south to Africa, and west through Europe. Eventually, it made it across the Atlantic and came here. And for that reason, over the course of history, most of us have, have, have received the gospel because the gospel spread through the work of the, these disciples that Jesus commissioned. For that reason, you heard the gospel and were saved. For that reason, Redemption City Church was planted because of the compassion-driven ministry of Jesus. The kingdom spreads. And it's the compassion of Jesus that has to fuel us today. It has to fuel us toward preaching the gospel. And you do that in your homes, with your families, you do it in your neighborhoods and in your, in your communities, and you do it to the nations, Lord willing. It's because Jesus reached toward us with compassion that we reach toward others to make disciples and plant churches so that more and more people might know the rest that comes with, from knowing the Good Shepherd. And so, followers of Jesus, since the compassionate heart of Jesus for the world has been handed down to us. I just want to end by calling you to fulfill your destiny. No matter what sort of fork is in the road in front of you today, whether you take this job or that job or major in this instead of that, 
This is what God has given you to do. To, to be fueled by his love for you so that you might love others and make disciples of Jesus Christ for God's glory. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. He said it to the disciples as they overlooked a crowd of a few hundred or a couple thousand, two thousand years ago in Israel. The harvest is so plentiful today, friends. And I just want to highlight a, a few ways in which the harvest is, is plentiful. Today in the world, there are more people who are unreached by the gospel than ever before because of how population has increased. So, so there's a special category of people called an unreached people group. And if you haven't heard about that, haven't heard that term before, let me just really quick define it for you. An unreached people group is, is a people group that has no indigenous community of believing Christians or at least no community with adequate numbers and resources to engage its people with the gospel. So in the world today, there are 7,406 unreached people groups in the world. They make up 41.8% of the world's population, which is 3,255,123,000 people who will live and die never hearing the name of Jesus. So the harvest is plentiful in the world. But don't you for a second believe that you need to go across the world to engage in the harvest because the harvest is plentiful here in the West, in the United States. In 2020, a survey by the Pew Research Center said that 65% of adults in the United States identified themselves as Christians, which might seem kind of respectable, but then when you compare it to the fact that in 2015, 75% of people identified themselves as Christians, in 2012, 78% of people, in 2001, 81% of people, and in 1990, 85% of people identified themselves as Christians. Now, that doesn't mean much. I know that from my own context in Livingston County, Plenty of people will say they're Christians because they're white and Republican. But they never go to church. Their life isn't shaped by the gospel. They're more shaped by whatever their busy schedule is filled with, whether it be school or yoga or sports practice or or working out or whatever sort of thing is shaping the next thing that they're doing. Their their lives aren't built around the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, They might say they're Christian in name and so... So the harvest is much greater than even the statistics will tell us. The harvest is plentiful in the United States. The harvest is plentiful here in Grand Rapids. I told you, I lived here, I know. You live in the Bible Belt of the North, but that does not mean that there is not a harvest here. Can I get an amen from somebody, right? Here in your neighborhoods and your schools and your workplaces, you are on the front line of ministry. So many people here in West Michigan, they have heard just enough of the gospel to be inoculated to it. They have become calloused toward the glory of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And they've become so calloused that they become skeptical or they scoff. And it is to those people who don't know the rest that is offered to you in Jesus 
that you are called to take the good news of the gospel. And so often it will look less like handing out tracts on a street corner and more like getting people around your table and loving them and, and giving them a plausibility structure in their mind to believe that hey, this Christianity thing, it works because I see it in the life of, of people. I see them welcoming me around their, into their homes when I would maybe feel, feel scared to darken the door of any church. I love this story. I didn't plan to share it, but I just can't not share it with you. Back home, um, my, my family is there in, in Brighton, Livingston County. I have a sister who used to be a cosmetologist. She worked with somebody who lived a lifestyle that just would have made them stick out like a sore thumb if they came to a church on a Sunday morning um, and would have made them feel a lot of shame and would have probably made kind of sheltered Christians feel a little bit uncomfortable and it would have just been awkward and hard. She worked with this person and just invited them over for dinner um, she lived with my parents at the time, and they grilled hamburgers and ate them on paper plates around my parents' dinner table. It was a super casual meal. Later, my friend called, or my, my sister's friend called her and said that they went home weeping in their car because they hadn't had a meal with friends like that for so long. They'd been so lonely. They called it such a nice meal, hamburgers on a paper plate. And it is through interactions like that that people who are distant from the church, far from the reach of the services and programmings of Redemption City Church, that you will demonstrate the gospel to people and make disciples of Jesus Christ. You will love them first. And in loving them, you will show them the compassion of Jesus so friends, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and pray knowing that Jesus, who is the Lord of the harvest, is sending you into his harvest fields and they are ripe for harvest. Pray that the Lord would allow you the privilege of making disciples in your homes and in your families and in your neighborhoods and in the nations. Pray that the Lord would give Redemption City Church the privilege of planting more gospel outposts across the world so that more people might hear the gospel, not just here in Grand Rapids, but in Brighton and Howell, Michigan, or in Iran or in Africa or wherever Sebastian wants to plant his church. <laughs> pray. Pray earnestly knowing that you are sent. Let's pray now. Lord God, you have to do the work that preaching can't do. You have to send your spirit and cause the seed of your word to take root and to bear fruit. So we come uh, just desperate for your help. Help us to, to be your ambassadors. Uh, help us first, though, to, to rest in your compassion for us. I pray for the people gathered in this room, that they would not hear law laid on their shoulders, do, 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 but that they, they would hear the love of Christ extended toward them in the gospel, that it has been done for them. And that that would fuel their ministry. God, we ask this in the precious, 
powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.